as always, the uh, invitation, the encouragement to to um, bring to these sessions the, the quality of metta, the quality of loving kindness, as a sense of holding <coughs> oneself in that kindness and holding others in the whole field of, of the room and others in their questions and their their curiosities, holding all that in kindness. So, any, anything? I was wondering if I could make a proposition of a sort of a, a two-minute silent pit stop halfway through, just to... Sure. I kind of feel at the end of an hour, that's a bit, like, a bit much. Yeah, okay. After we don't know how long it's going to go. After half an hour, yeah. Sure. Okay. Sounds good. Thank you. (coughs) Yeah. Please. What would you say? I'd say yes. Y- yes, which? It is part of the package. Okay, what, what gives you that? So, really important question. Vedana, um, sometimes when we explain the, the teaching of Vedana, it seems relatively simple. Um, you start going into it, and it starts like, hold on, it's not quite as simple as it looks like at first. Um, is the sensation and the Vedana, as you say, are they different things? Are they the same things? And then again, even even more interesting, if you like, is, is the aversion and the clinging, is my reaction, the reaction to the Vedana, is that separate from the Vedana, or is it part of the package of it? And so your sense is that it's part of the package. <coughs> um, Okay, that's okay. Now, so is it a matter of just clarifying, clarifying that? Well, there's a few questions around all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for example, yesterday I, I was doing walking meditation in my room, and they, they delivered some breeze blocks just uh-huh. as I was in there. And there was this loud roaring engine the whole time I was in there. <laughs> and um, I was attempting to do walking meditation, and I just okay, I'll, I'll sort of explore this practice. Good, and, yeah. Um, and I couldn't... I mean, one thing that I was I realised I didn't quite get was that was I, if I was doing the allowing, was I allowing the roaring engine or allowing my aversive response to uh, the uh, Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah, very good. Um, you could do both at different times. Mm. <coughs> so I think the primary practice that uh, introduced w- would be allowing the roaring of the engine 
or allowing the unpleasantness, the felt unpleasantness of the roaring of the engine. And then, so some, when I'm allowing, what I'm really doing is quietening and, and uh, dissolving the aversion, because allowing is kind of non-aversion by definition almost. However, sometimes, um, e- either because, either because one feels that one can't allow enough, it, it just won't go to allowing, or one can't relax the relationship, you can actually get the felt sense of aversion and allow that sense of aversion. So you're taking like one step back, being more spacious, and it's like, it's okay, this aversion is okay, this, this sense that I have of aversion, I'm completely allowing that. So what often happens is, I mean, one way of talking on it, it's not quite accurate, and we may or may not get into that on this retreat, is there are kind of feedback loops going on. So you start being aversive to the aversion, and then, you know, forget about it. <laughs> so uh, if you, d- you can always find a level, so to speak, a space bigger where you can kind of soften or, or love from or, or whatever, and it's like, so that would be really skillful. Um, or it might be that at other times you're getting the sense that the aversion and the Vedan are not really separate. And so to allow is to allow the whole package. You know, um, but that, that's, yeah, so it could be both. So, and it could also be an allowing of the sound of the engine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So there's slight, they're just slightly, you know, it's quite subtle. We're talking about just subtle, subtly different angles on, on a similar process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Relaxing the body. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. like relaxing the tension, the clamping <coughs> there. Good. And that, um, what happened then was actually fear came with strongly. It kind of, uh, it was like rather than the fear being clamped, it became more fluid. Mm-hmm. And then I got a thought which I won't say, but it actually um, felt even more fear. Right, okay. What I was afraid of. Yeah. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you, do you know... So there's the clamping in the head and a little bit of fear. Mm-hmm. And then when you relax the clamping, more fear came. It seemed like it un- unfroze the fear a little bit. So good. Um, do, do you feel like you know why that was? Was it, was it, a f- in, in other words, sometimes there's, there's, there are moments when, when there's an investment in clamping. There's an investment in being a bit shut down. We don't want to be open. And then when it opens, we're like, oh, you know, it's... It's like keeping something out. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um... So what's the question there? Um, oh, there was a question to it. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Maybe I just want to tell you. Okay. Um, I'll have a quiet moment and see if it comes. Oh, it was that I didn't know what it was, the original... What it was about. Yeah. 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 Very good. Um, th- this is this is again quite common. Sometimes it feels like we have a state of aversion or fear, and it doesn't seem to be about anything. And there's a couple of things with that. Sometimes um, there are what could we say periods in life for for some people, and I know this in the past, where it's almost like the the organism, the energy body and the physical organism and the mind kind of 
it finds its way into the groove of anxiety or contraction, just kind of out of habit. And it's just, it doesn't have anything particular that it's anxious about, whatever. It just will go to that loop, you know, uh, and, and, and kind of get, stay in that loop. And then from that loop, a person might start looking for things that they're anxious for to justify the anxiety, and then it builds. So that's one possibility. The other thing um, that also is very common is that, um, I think when we're talking with Nina, it's like, Fear, there's fear of fear, and there's aversion to aversion. Mm-hmm. So, in a way, it doesn't need anything other than the experience of aversion or the experience of fear to start looping on itself. Mm-hmm. It's its own closed circuit that works fine, thank you very much, without anything else. And so, oftentimes, when the sense of it just, there's just a sense of aversion or contraction, if we're honest enough to kind of stop it, just making an excuse out of something external, you actually see that what you're aversive to is the feeling of aversion. And it's kind of just a self... Um, what are they? I don't know what it's called. Self-perpetuating, self-excited loop. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Self-excited system, exactly. Um, so what, what you can do there is kind of what you did, is um, kind of just opening to this experience of aversion, just just completely allowing this experience of aversion. So, again, how do I know I'm aversive? How do I know there's aversion in a moment? Because it feels like there's some contraction, and that contraction is unpleasant. So aversion and clinging, clinging themselves are unpleasant experiences, generally speaking. And I, I can relate to that and, and, you know, and open to that. Now, what happened in some opening up more fear, it sounded like that triggered something else, but it could have gone completely the other way. It could have just quietened the whole thing down. So it was just, you know, it happened to work that way because of other conditions. Yeah. But and it's like relaxing it not to get rid of it, isn't it? Which is yeah, that's really important. So have you noticed that um, when you relax aversion or clinging to something, it often dissolves a thing? Mm-hmm. Is that not interesting? <laughs> we'll come back to that but um, yes you can't I'll relax my aversion so that you go away <laughs> it's too smart for that it, it, no that's just that's just uh, you know nicey nicey aversion <laughs> Dress, dressed up as uh, you know so one has to it, this kind of allowing and welcome has to be completely as genuine as one and we do start seeing this 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 um, phenomenon, which to to me is so um, pregnant with insight, so important in the downside. When I let go of my aversion, this thing begins to dissolve. Um, uh, but once you start seeing that, then very easily that comes in as a motivation. Different motivation possible is curiosity, like what is going on there? What does it mean that a thing dissolves? So it, it's there's some there's something it implies something extremely profound about the nature of reality, and so if I'm just in the game of wanting to get rid of this thing that I don't like, it's like I'm missing I'm missing the treasure because I want this little I don't know piece of chocolate or something, <laughs> and there's this whole room full of gold, you know. Um, so much much you you that will happen. There will we're always going to slip into or if I can just be nice to it, maybe it will go away, kind of thing. Um, that's normal you know, human response. But if if we can kind of catch that and soften that and come try as much as possible to come from a genuine place, with curiosity being the motivating factor, that that's quite a different um Yeah? Okay, wonderful. Really good stuff, yeah. Is it possible to have <coughs> 
clinging <clears throat> and aversion at the same time. Yeah, can, I mean, what did you notice? Yeah. I, I kind of have been experiencing that. Yeah. Just can you say a bit more? Or? You don't have to, but. Just noticing <clears throat> a very obvious area of clinging in my life. And whilst there is this <clears throat> area of clinging, there's the pain that comes from the clinging. And and then there's the aversion to the pain. Yeah. So it's all happening all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Mm. it is. Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, there is all that, and um, and one notices it. They, they go together. Um, it, in some in some respects, they're just like two sides of the same coin as well, um, because sometimes to be. Uh, I mean, what you said is slightly different from what I'm just going to say now. It's in addition to what you said, you know. Aversion to this thing here is is also implicitly clinging to its opposite kind of thing. You know, when I'm aversive to a pain in the knee, I'm clinging to wanting a sense of comfort, just that fun, and vice versa. When I want this thing, um, when I want, um, you know, when I want uh, romance, oftentimes I'm I'm. Um, I'm aversive to loneliness or what that makes me feel or think of myself if I see myself as a lonely person in a uh, Hollywood saturated society you know it's, it's, so it's all they go together two sides of the same coin and what you're saying is is at, kind of very subtle as well it's like there's pain in the clinging and then we're aversive to that pain and if you like that that aversion t- Aversion to the feeling of clinging is what partly fuels the clinging more. Mm. So it's like, what am I actually after? I'm after the ending of this painful feeling of clinging, and and that's it, it's sort of what you know, someone with like an, a, a kind of addiction, let's say to cigarettes or something. Partly, one of the ways of working really skillfully with it is. Um, learning to tolerate that craving and the pain of it because it's uncomfortable, and and it sort of just if I just watch it with mindfulness, it just gets stronger and stronger, and it gets stronger. And at some point, person, I can't tolerate it anymore. I've got to have a cigarette or whatever it is. But if you just watch it and, and you have space, and it's like it is uncomfortable. There is pain in clinging, uh, and and it rises at a certain point. It just kind of peaks, and then it, and then it naturally dies down because one's not feeding it through the aversion to the to the pain of the clinging. Um, and the more one does that and just sees, sees clinging arise and, and that, it, it starts to lose its grip, its power over us, and also its, its actual force as a, um, or rather the unhealthy clingings, because there's such a thing as healthy clinging, good clinging, clinging to good stuff, in a way that opens us up. Um, but that kind of unhealthy movement starts to lose its power. So that's really good to notice, yeah. Is there something more that comes out of that back or? Not a 
question. Okay. Uh, no, I mean, <clears throat> it, it's, thankfully, it's more, I mean, there was a question, more as a confirmation, really, but I, it was more of an observation. And yes. I feel like there's enough space at the moment that even <clears throat> it coming round again, shall we say, the story, yeah. that, you know, causes the clinging, etc. Even when it comes round again, there's enough space for it to just, my thanks, you know, it's kind of Good. got Good. that quality. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it's just a really subtle point. Yeah, okay, great. Mm. Thank you. I want to ask about, you know, most of us feel the sense of, um, I guess, lack of, I don't know, lack of, I don't know, love or lack of uh, food, this fear that most of us have. I was just wondering where it comes from. The, the fear of lack. I mean, yeah. the sense of lack yeah. and the fear of lack. Yeah, exactly. Where does that come from? It depends who you ask, really. I mean... Um, I think from a Dharma perspective it comes from fundamental delusion, from avijja. When there's uh, this belief in a self that's real and really separate from others and the rest of the universe, mm. then automatically, just in that proposition, there is a sense of having to defend oneself, having to look out for oneself, having to feed oneself, which is also a biological necessity. It's like all, all of that um, inherent in that sense of separateness, inherent in the sense of this self um, being something real, which I have to look out for, and, and all that. Um, in its very finiteness and its separateness, there's going to be a sense of lack there. Uh, it's 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 a fundamental delusion. And out of that delusion comes the, the clinging and the, and the rejection, etc., which only feed that delusion and don't end up really satisfying us. So the whole thing kind of snowballs, builds like that. Um, so there's a way that that sense of lack and the fear of that lack are just part of, I was going to say the human condition, but actually the condition of unawakened consciousness, not just the human condition part of the condition of unawakened consciousness. And the movement, you know, one of the fundamental movements of, of awakening is, is puncturing that, that delusion. So that there is not that sense of lack. There is not that sense of imperfection and incompleteness. And that comes into the, into the very feeling of life more and more. And it's not dependent on me achieving this or someone saying you're good or anything like that or having you know, this kind of person or that kind of person in my life. It's just that something in the whole sense and perception of existence itself has, has changed, has opened out, has dissolved, or is in the process of doing that. And a, a radically different sense of existence c comes into being. Now, of course, on top of all that, um, human beings, um, what, what it is, out of that delusion and being impacted by their history. For instance, sometimes we don't get, for instance, the parenting that we need. Um, and so that will compound that 
So I, I, I would not say that that's the primary cause, whereas maybe some psychotherapists would. It's like it's, if you had had perfect parents, you wouldn't feel that. I, I, I disagree. Um, and I've said this in here other times. It's like also it's being fed by the culture. Here we are here. When, when was the last advertisement you saw? Probably before the retreat, right? I mean, you take it, you know, just walk to the local town. You cannot walk down the high street without being bombarded with the message that you need this, that basically you're lacking, and you might, you know, you might be able to get happy if you can, if you can have this or buy that or get that or look like this or, or have this kind of person in your life or, or whatever it is. So it's like the culture is feeding that message very, very strongly. Incredibly, we're just saturated by it all day long. And everyone you talk to agrees with it, you know. So it's like everyone supporting each other in, for instance, financial fear. You know, it's like uh, uh, everyone propping propping each other's fear up, most mostly. Um, so all all that kind of spir- snowballs it in the wrong direction, so to speak. Um, but fundamentally, it comes out of a sense of. Um, a misperception of reality, which is what emptiness is all about. It's like re... Uh, the meta too, actually, both of them together. They're, they're re... Um, well, they're... dissolving that misunderstanding, those misunderstandings. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So, experientially, you know, this is really interesting because um, we feel that a person feels that lack at times, and the fear of that lack, both. Now, if the fear of the lack is really strong, I won't even go near the lack. I won't even let myself feel the lack. I'll do everything in my life to just uh, uh, numb numb that sense of lack, you know, and I can distract myself in, you know, a gazillion ways, and partly... um, Distraction is is big business. You know, there's a lot of a lot of economy runs on on <laughs> ways we can distract ourselves and pay for for being distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like what's what's in control here, and what glimpses do I have? If I can glimpse the fear of the lack, then do I have enough courage alongside that fear to feel the fear of the lack, which might take me towards the lack and feeling the lack? If I'm continually invested in um, numbing, numbing, and um, trying to fill, maybe not even numbing, but f- trying to fill the lack through things that are not going to help. Again, I'm just, I'm just going off in the wrong direction in a way that's not going to help. Um, but it may be that I begin to feel the lack. It may be that I also, for instance, just getting really interested in the question of happiness, happinesses, plural. There are different kinds of happinesses. If I walk down Newton Abbott High Street, there's a... Um, what are they called? They're like, they have all, it's, it's a whole, not really a shop, but it's full of slot machines and uh, arcade, arcade. Yeah. So I could, you know, go in there and, and you know, play whatever those thi- things, things, what are they called? <laughs> <laughs> slot machines. machines, yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and, and there's a, a degree of happiness in that. Maybe a degree of happiness. Compare that with the happiness of however it's felt when, when the meta has felt good for you. Compare that. You know, whatever that is, whatever that is, even just the sweetness of touching your pain with compassion, there's a happiness in that. Um, or just, you know, whatever, it's, it's, it's 
pathetic, you know. It's, it's absolutely pathetic. Excuse me. But um, it's... Uh, <laughs> um, so there's something about just really, really paying attention to happinesses and what's available to us as human beings. And then, and then it's like almost without even going to the lack and saying, I have to go through this existential deep lack to really confront that and my fear of it, to really go through the pain and eventually, I, you know, maybe not. Maybe I just start paying attention to happiness. And following those good happinesses, I start giving myself things which actually heal that sense of lack and that misperception without having to sit in this, you know, terrible uh, coldness that's, you know, scary to the soul and all that, necessarily. So th- there's lots of lots of things here. Yeah. yeah? Um, now, have I answered your question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fully. <laughs> yeah? Okay. Um, it's certainly not to deny the influence of family and all that, but mm-hmm. there, there's other factors too, and, and fundamentally... Um, I mean, who who have you met with a perfect? Have you, do you know anyone who's had a perfect uh, parenting? <laughs> you know. Um, what does that mean? Exactly. What does it mean? It's part of our. Um, it's part of our contemporary myth. You know, we be- we believe in that. Uh, other cultures that don't, don't even think that way. They just don't think that way. Um, other times in history, people just don't think that way and put so much weight on that. Um, and, and Dharma would say, fundamentally, you know, you could put all the conditions right, you get all the love you want, all the pampering, which, uh, you know, it's not going to address that fundamental delusion. There's something we're born with as human beings that we misperceive reality. We have, we, we, it seems so obvious, and this is what emptiness is all about, everything seems so obvious. I'm here, you're there, this is the floor, etc., etc., and is that, that's a misperception. There's a misperception woven into that, and out of that comes all the pain and all the striving in the wrong directions, uh, which only cause more pain. Yeah. So th- this, when when we go into emptiness, if you like, where uh, in the Buddha's words, we're we're addressing the root. We're trying to address the root. And it's not to say, of course, healing in terms of one's child and all that's not important, but it it won't reach that deeper level. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sort of allowing but then opening out mm-hmm. and getting that sense of dissolving of the body yeah and um, but then when i'm and that doesn't happen very often at the moment but okay. when that's happening going further in that then i'm getting a sense of uh well the word that came to me was interconnectedness yeah, with other other beings mm, lovely maybe with trees yeah <laughs> beautiful beautiful yeah should I go there? Should I keep going there? No, that sounds awful. <laughs> 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 yeah, very much. Absolutely, yes. So, um, that, yeah, go for it. But but uh, then I have a question for you guys. Tell me what happens. What happens when you do th- these practices? So Juliet was saying this. Something, that there's a difficult thing, and I relax the aversion, and sometimes that thing dissolves. Catherine's saying, I do this thing, the body dissolves. As I, as more I let go, the, the body dissolves, the sense of the body dissolves. Or 
maybe gets lighter or more spacious. Even doesn't maybe dissolve completely, but you begun to get a glimpse sometimes. Yeah. And then go further. There's a sense of interconnectedness. What else happens? What else happens? Peace. Peace. Calm. Very good. Peace, calm. Happiness. Yeah. Peace, calm, happiness. Great. Mm. Love. <laughs> okay. What else? Joy. Yeah. Lovely. Freedom. Yeah. What else do you know? Desire to help, actually. Desire to help. Beautiful. Yeah. So there's there's a coming out of the love and 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 the and the also if we related to what Nina says, the sense of lack gets less. And we might not notice that. Because the sense of lack, as it was saying with Nina, it goes with the sense of self and the sense of separateness. If I feel this self to be separate, once I start feeling there's less self, there's less sense of a lack here, and more interconnectedness and less sense of... You're more available. Absolutely, all of that. Yeah, beautiful. It's like this instructions from Catherine to eat less, sit more, sleep less. If you had given them at the beginning of the retreat, I'd say, no way. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 I can do that. No. Yeah. yeah, very good. Yeah. So what else? What else? The, the, the realisation So the happiness is not dependent on the external. That we would say. Or the unhappiness. Or the unhappiness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, very good, very good. Yes, excellent. There's some <coughs> like momentum that has that is happening. That something seems to. what I feel I'm plugged into, I don't know how else to yeah. express it, has its own momentum, mm-hmm. <clears throat> has its own, you know, that it, that it, and I'm just part of that, mm-hmm. so I'm just kind of able to kind of rest back in that. Okay, um, so could you say what it seems has its own momentum. Mm, no, I can't put a word to it. Okay. The, you know, the experience is, you know, from, you know, starting from this sort of allowing and something more spacious around whatever it is that one is working with, then life, life becomes more spacious, Mm -hmm. just the whole Mm -hmm. experience Mm -hmm. of being becomes more spacious, and it's so much less limiting, (laughs) and 
whatever it is that I feel that I'm, it's that which I feel that I'm connected to, and that has its own momentum and It's okay. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah. Um, yeah, beautiful. It, it responds. Okay. It, it contains. Yes, it yes. All right. Responds. Very good. Very good. Um, what else? Silence. Silence, yeah. When with but we simply had to go through absolutely starting from the head to each part of the body looking for movement. Yeah. And if there was no movement, we waited, mm-hmm. etc. Hours and hours and hours mm-hmm. of this. And um, they said that after about five or six days, for some people, um, that you may get a burst of energy. That's the way it was put. I didn't know what they were talking about, so I thought, okay, fine, whatever. And this one night, on the sixth night, I was lying in bed, and I got this surge of energy. It was extraordinary. It went on for hours. Mm. And I thought, if I had to describe this, I would call it a Mozart symphony. (laughs) (laughs) Just beautiful. Mm. Mm -hmm. Never had anything since. I never went back, because I thought, I'm not going to grasp onto that. If I go back, it won't happen anyway. Mm -hmm. Um... So what I've been doing here, I remember that came back to me, and I thought, oh, maybe that's what was going on when they had us going through. So I've been going through the body very, very slowly like that, sort of saying, you know, where is this self? Is it here? Is it here? Uh, Is this the the self that cooks? Is this the self that's the mother? Is this the self that's the whatever? All sorts of of cells actually presenting themselves, Mm -hmm. cells I never thought of. Right. So that's what I'm doing, going through the body ever so slowly, and obviously the answer is no, no, no. And I'm see, I'm actually seeing the dance. Yeah. And I call it. It came to me yesterday. I call it the dance of liberation. Mm-hmm. As though these, whatever it is, the little light of body. Um, so, is this an okay way to uh, be doing it? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, because I, I'm quite attracted to that, and I'm attracted to. Um, you know, you see somebody, and or you're thinking, well, you know, yeah, they upset me, whatever. But there is no self there either. Yeah, so what are you good. upset at? Yeah, very that's good. The self. Excellent, excellent. So that's actually mm-hmm. how yeah. I'm doing it. Yeah, um, very good. And um, at some point, Ruth, you you might also want to add in that the the mental looking. So it's like is. Yeah, in the mental events, not just the bodily events, but is, is there a self there? Is there a self there? I just see the dance. And uh, it's almost like, where where might the self-sense be hiding? If it's not in the body, it can hide in the mind. So um, when you feel 
like you want to, you could expand that into the mind and looking at the, the flow of the mind. Is, is there a self in there? Same, you know, you're just extend, extending your search, if you like. And then, then it's kind of, it's not in the body, it's not in the mind. Where else is it going to be? You know, outside there somewhere. It's, it's, uh, it's kind of an exhaustive search that way. Yeah. This thing of the body disappearing too. Mm-hmm. I've actually had it, but I didn't know what it was. I never thought about mm-hmm. it. Sometimes, mm-hmm. if I'm receiving healing, mm-hmm. my body would just disappear. Sure. And I would say to the healer, and we both say, "Isn't that interesting?" And yeah. Go on. Yeah. Or if I'm giving craniosacral therapy to somebody, sometimes an arm would disappear. I would just go on with what I was doing. Now yeah. I know. Yours or theirs? Or? Yeah. Well, theirs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their arm. Or if I'm receiving it, sometimes uh-huh. my arm would disappear. Okay. But I never. Okay. Now that I have the pointing out instruction, I know what actually is going on. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Excellent. So. So what have we got so far? We let go. Uh, there's insights about happiness. There's. Um, Love comes up in a more effortless way. It's a more natural way that it just kind of it reveals itself. It's pervaded. Um, body begins to lighten, lose its substantiality, maybe even dissolve a little bit. Um, spaciousness emerges. Silence. Uh, sometimes a thing that we're looking at dissolves and disappears. Um, what happens to the self sense? It gets smaller, less built up, right, less constructed on this, if you go back to what I was saying early in the retreat about the the continuum of the self-sense, we build it up a lot or a little bit or less or less, so we're going down that scale, right, in terms of, yeah? Because we can see that it depends on certain conditions. Very good, very good, okay, so we start to begin to see, if we take just this practice that we've well, let's take both what Sophie's saying and what Ruth said. We start to see from different angles. So if we take this practice of re- relaxing the relationship with things, which is relaxing the aversion and clinging, I start to see that the self-sense is dependent on aversion and clinging. It's constructed through, by, aversion and clinging. You, yeah? To some degree. Now, you can even see that without meditating. You don't need to be a meditator even to see that an extreme of aversion and clinging. I'm really, uh, really upset about something, and they're really angry, and it's like the self is very, very solid, and then just some time goes by, and I, I'm a little less upset and back to normal, and the self, relatively speaking, is less solid. I haven't done any meditation there. It's just the same insight. Do, do, does this make sense? Sure. Um, m- what meditation is doing is just extending that scale the movement of that scale, and beginning to ask, what is going on here? And, and understanding the 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 self sense is constructed like that, seeing it over and over again. When we do the impermanence, we go back to what Ruth said. It's like looking, and it's like, well, where is this self? I look everywhere, and I don't see it anywhere. What I see is that the mind creates um, creates connections between these dots, like I was saying, dot to dot, and then constructs the self that way. Um, <clears throat> so a few things here. Um, yeah. Well, it's just that um, I've been trying to let go because I've had some bad heads 
focusing has been difficult, you know, going in. So I've been kind of relaxing the whole body yep. for that approach. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I found that um, when I actually was able to do that, which I eventually did, it took many ages. Okay. March in the night to do it. But um, all these terrible pains that I've been having, and they just completely went mm. away. Mm -hmm. I mean, they come back. Mm -hmm. But what I realized is very, very strongly, far stronger than I ever had before, is that, um, I mean, all this chronic pain and stuff that I've had in my life is all evolution. And it's shocking. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, I have lived my life as an aversive self. Okay. Care, care, so for, there's a there's a fantastic insight in there. <laughs> you know, really, really important. Care, careful what we add to it yeah. in terms of then making a conclusion about the self and a yeah. definition. Yeah. Um, but th there's a priceless insight in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But care, careful of crusting around that. Yes. You know. Um, we know a, a lot of tears. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so we can. Um, Actually, you know, because that ties into what I want to pull together. But let's have, let's have, as you suggested, let's have a bit of silence here. So my question for you in the silence is, um, Kate, we talked about this anyway, so okay. yesterday. You know what I'm talking about, right? Um, uh, my question is, what does all this mean? What does it all mean? What's going on here? What is all this about? I see this. Nothing you've said to me has surprised me in the slightest. And as I said to you, I give you these practices and I expect you to say this, 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 and lo and behold, that's what happens. And I could say, oh, well, whatever. What's going on? So let's let's just have a couple of minutes quiet.
What do you think? Question is, why is it so uncomfortable not to have accept this idea that there isn't an inherent fixed self? Because it is quite obvious, but why is it difficult to accept? Um, I mean, the Buddha would... That's why, you know, there's this incredibly deep delusion. It's a real, really deep habit of reifying the self and reifying the world, be- believing it's something really um, solid and real. And why is that so deeply bound like it is? I don't know. But similar to what we said with Nina, it's also the fact that we, we're born with that, but we also act and choose in ways that make it tighter and tighter and more and more. Uh, so it's like it's getting... You know, the question is, through my life, is that getting stronger or is that getting weaker, that delusion? Am I unbinding it or am I, get, am I making it stronger? Why it's there in the first place, I mean, <laughs> I have no idea, and, and the Buddha didn't even attempt to answer that question. You know. It's like you're standing at the top of the cliff and you're throwing the stone, and the stone is that self coming into being, and there's just no way to not be the stone. Uh, you know, without lots and lots of awareness and mindfulness. And yeah, there's a, there's a real momentum to it. Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's really tempting in that silence to say there is no self. Mm-hmm. But I know that's not true. Okay. Because there's also self. Mm-hmm. That's how it feels to me, is that when there's most peace, there's a dance... There is self and there's no self. Mm-hmm. Because the self is needed to perceive what's happening, to understand that there's no essential self. I need my memory to know what's happening from moment to moment. Mm-hmm. I need a self to act appropriately in that moment. I need a self to heal myself. Mm. I say that, I guess, because I don't know why I feel quite emotional. I think it's because I tend to the clinging to not being, I think. Mm-hmm. And it's this discovery of actually, mm-hmm. somehow, some sense of self is quite important. Yeah. But how to manage it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Julia. Um, so, there's, there's two things here. Um, I think I put this out at the beginning of the retreat, but because we're talking about emptiness, it's like that's where all the teaching goes. But it's really important. To me, it's important. It's like being... What is it to... Um, be able to be in the self and be the self and have that fullness and that richness and my journey and um, knowing oneself and relating from that self and acting in the world responsibly and and with you know that that and the whole growth and the journey of the self to me that's really important and really beautiful. So there's a way, obviously, obviously. That, that we can grasp hold, hold of self and it's really mm. a problem. But we can also grasp hold of emptiness and, mm. and make it a problem there. N- Nagarjuna says, um, I've got the exact quote, but it's something like, you know, if you cling to emptiness or pick it up in the wrong way, it's like picking up a, a snake at the wrong end. Mm. You, you understand? You, you <laughs> get bitten. Um, so there's there's a way where we have to have wisdom in 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 relating to emptiness because it c- it could go into nihilism. This kind of just obliterate everything, obliterate self, obliterate all of that. For me, it's really a balance. And you know that quote that Catherine read yesterday was it something like um, 
in seeing things to be or not to be, fools fail to see a world at ease. So in seeing the self to be or not to be, yeah. fools fail to see that, that the nature of things is peace, it also says yeah. somewhere else. But that, it's not either being or not being. That's what's called the middle way of yeah. emptiness teachings. It's not saying it doesn't exist. It's not saying it, doesn't, it does exist. Yeah. That's very hard. That's, that's the reason why the Buddha was like, I don't know if I really want to try and teach this stuff. <laughs> it's really, really exasperating. Um, <coughs> um, as one deepens in the understanding of emptiness, th- it sort of one, one oscillates around that middle way less and less, and it becomes a, a, a felt... It's, the whole thing gets more subtle, we understand it more. Another option, though, is, is to actually say, let's just think of it like two boxes... And I can be in the box of emptiness, whatever that means for me right now, and then I shift gear and I'm in the box of self. And it's not, I just go back and forth and not worry about the one when I'm in the other. Mm. And the question is, when I'm in relating in terms of self, am I doing that in a way that feels fulfilling and beautiful and rich and your you know, uniqueness and, and all of that and your sense of the life that that brings? Or is it a prison and a constriction and a, and a self-hatred and all that stuff? And the similar with the emptiness, is it opening up the love, is it opening up the sense of connectedness and all that? And, and you just move from one box to the other. And in, in, in the deepening of the understanding of emptiness, the middle way comes more and more. Yeah? You look like so, you're not quite satisfied. Yeah, no, no, there. something to think about. <laughs> okay. Um, in terms of what you said, I need a self to, you know, because I need my memory... Actually, if we were going to be really strict, so you actually don't need that. You need memory, yeah. and you need, and there needs to be seeing and consciousness. There needs to be the aggregates there, consciousness mm-hmm. and perception and memory and all that. But that doesn't necessarily imply a sense of self. In other words, it's possible mm-hmm. to have all that stuff operating without a sense of self, mm-hmm. as we'll talk about uh, starting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, But, you know, it, it, it's interesting, um, the whole... emotional reaction, which Cashman was also talking about last night, the whole emotional reaction to emptiness and stuff. And So sometimes there's a sense where, as I said, we're just clinging to our prison and we don't want to let go of it. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a matter of, um, can I, that analogy I use, can I just dip my toe in the bath and realize that it's okay mm-hmm. and realize it's really, really, there's something absolutely lovely about letting go of the self and, and dissolving the self, you know, to whatever degree that is, not constructing the self, and actually realize it's a beautiful thing and it's completely safe. Uh, and, um, and sometimes uh, there's something healthy in this wanting to um, keep one foot in the self camp and keep that alive. And som- sometimes it's just fear not quite trusting the emptiness yet and sometimes that's coming out of delusion of course and sometimes there's something beautiful there and healthy it's like you don't want to just obliterate yourself you want to have what does it mean to have that self be something precious and alive and yeah um yeah no one's answering my question. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Does someone else have a question? It's like, um, 
Does anyone want to answer what I said? What's the, the I think for me it's, I really don't know. The more you explore and the more you experience, the more you just keep coming back to it. I just don't know. Okay. <laughs> if I if I, I, I asked you guys a little bit, and so, so maybe some people have had this experience, or less, or more, or to some extent, um, and this this again weren't wasn't planning to get into this in terms of the curriculum for this retreat, um, but I was expecting it to come up, uh, and it's fine, and it's fine if if you hear it, it doesn't quite make sense, and parking it for later on. So here is this pain in the knee, this difficulty, whatever, and I let go in relationship to it, and it dissolves. Now, I could just be like, yippee, it's dissolved. I could be just, well, it's all a mystery, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, Not knowing sounds good. I could be like, well, things are impermanent, so it just dissolved. Okay, very good, Jackie. She said, uh, "Sorry, Hannah said the whole of our experience is mind." So, Jackie, is it because of relationship? Yeah, say a bit more. Because as you were talking about the two boxes, I wasn't comfortable with that. Okay. Because I feel as though what I've been able to understand about emptiness has been realised through the matter and inside myself and the whole thing has been interrelated and it's my relationship to the pain in the knee mm-hmm. the pain in itself is innocent of wanting to hurt me Okay. And it's my relationship to it that creates the suffering. Okay. So maybe all the other experiences are about (laughs) relationship between felt sense of self and emptiness. Mm -hmm. Between body and mind. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. All right. I'm only saying that based on things you were saying, not because I'm feeling that. Okay. When the pain. What was that? Uh, Miwa said, is it about the body existing? And then she said she was more like guessing from things I was saying more than some, something that was in her own experience or her own understanding. Catherine? When the pain is dissolved, then the pain, the pain's empty. The same as when the body's dissolving. Yeah. And the body's empty, so the object, well, the thing that you're relating to is empty. Yeah. What does it mean to say it's empty? That it's in my, my, it's, it's in my looking at it. It's, looking's the right word. My relationship to it yeah. is creating it. Right. And so, when I'm opening and spacious and allowing, and it's dissolving, yeah. then that relationship is, is, is disappearing. Yeah. 
well, the thing is disappearing, therefore the relationship also disappears in a way. But is it empty only when it dissolves, or is it empty still when it's there? Yeah, it's myself, it's my perception, my mind's perception of yeah. the thing. So it's even building the relationship, it's creating, constructing it. Okay, very good. So it's, it's empty even when it's there, because it's, mm-hmm. constru- right? Okay, so there's, there's, there's levels here. So, um, as we said, like, here's this, let's say I have this pain in my hip, or knee, or whatever, and I look at it, and I, I begin to let go, and, and the first thing I notice is that the suffering gets less. So we said, uh, it's, it's empty in itself of inherently being a problem, but maybe I still feel it as a pain. Then I keep, I keep relaxing. So the first thing I've noticed is it's, 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 it's not inherently suffering, and it's not inherently a problem. It's empty of that, we say. And I keep doing it, and, and sometimes I begin to notice, not only does the suffering go out of it, the actual sensation goes out of it, the actual pain itself dissolves, or the body dissolves, or whatever. And I begin to see that the presence of something is dependent on how I look at it. The presence of something is dependent on my relationship. And something I can relate to that is when we are doing the impermanence practice, I was looking at a blank hole in the walking room, and just a little square of it, and I could see change in that. And then I realized, this is something that Julie had said uh, a few days ago, that it's to do with perception changing. Yeah. So the impermanence yeah. in the perception. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Don't worry if you don't get this, because like I said, it wasn't in the plan for this course. It just, as I was talking to people in interviews, it was obvious that it was coming up. And um, as we talk about constructing the self, uh, and we've talked, and it like, feels like people are understanding the notion that we, that we construct the self in different ways. One of the ways from this last practice that we see is, is the self-sense gets constructed through aversion and clinging. More aversion and clinging, the more self, Right? Um, but then you also begin to see in terms of phenomena that they too are constructed through aversion and clinging. In other words, if I can, um, to the degree that I let go of my aversion and clinging, relax my aversion and clinging with regard to something, that phenomena dissolves because it needed the aversion and clinging to be there. It needed that. Mm. <laughs> so a lot of it's about control, isn't it? Aversion and, and clinging. Yeah. Keeping things safe and the same. Um, yes. There, it's a movement of control, exactly. A movement of trying to control, definitely. And that's what freaks us all out, really. Because it's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> now he's in charge. <laughs> um, oh, did that come out, didn't it? Yeah, it's like, this is <laughs> a very highly about. sensitive microphone. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a problem with that at all. Um, the, um, yeah, it's a, it's a movement of control, exactly. Um, so, d- does everyone understand the bit about the self being constructed through aversion and clinging? Does, is that much makes the self-sense being... It's like the more aversion and clinging, the more the self-sense. And it just slides up and down this... All, all, all day long, most of the night, we just go up and down on this on this scale. More, more self, denser self, more solid sense of self, less, more, less, more. P- 
partly through aversion and clinging. But it's the same with phenomena. That's all. That's all I'm saying. It's the same with phenomena. Because of our relationships today. In other words, I tend to think this thing is what it is. I might have um, an aversive relationship to it. I might have a clinging relationship to it. I might have an equanimous relationship to it. I might let go. I might not let go. I might hate it. I might whatever. But that comes after the thing. That's a typical intuitive sense of existence that we have. There's the thing, and here's my r- reaction to it, going right back to what Juliet said at the beginning. Here's my r- relationship with it, which is a separate thing. It could be this, it could be this, it could be that. But the thing is the thing. The thing is the thing. When you begin to start playing with this, you see that the thing does not exist separately from, from my relationship to it. I cannot point to a separate thing. And as I let go in my relationship, the thing cannot sustain itself because it does not exist independently of the mind, independently of the relationship with it. There is not a thing first, relationship later, even. Let's take this with the self. So... I don't know, maybe it's too early to say this on the retreat. D- you're all looking pretty puzzled. Or <laughs> <laughs> it gives me like a flavour of why you say this is not that there's no self, there's not that there is self. Yeah. There's a kind of like, yeah. there isn't a thing that's independent, but. Yes, very good. Very good. Yeah. Well. Let me throw one more little, very good. Let me throw one more little thing out. Here's this self, let's say. I have a sense of self in any moment. Here's this sense of self. Now, that self, by. Uh, nature almost will have a self-interest right i perceive myself going back to nina's thing i perceive myself separate from the world needing protection this self the self-sense with a self-sense goes a sense of self-interest right i want x for this self and i definitely don't want y so there's pulling and pushing it goes with the self, right? It, it's the activity of the self-sense to push and to pull, because it has that self-interest. That pushing and pulling is clinging and aversion. Um, in other words, the self-sense spawns, uh, as part of its very existence, its activity, it gives rise to aversion and clinging. That's what it does. It's the activity of the self, is to cling. It's, it's but we also see the other way around. I see that aversion and clinging builds the self, more aversion and clinging, as we've said, the more the self. Less aversion and clinging, less self. Really, really little aversion and clinging, really, really little construction of self. So aversion and clinging construct the self. We talk, The Buddha talked about dependent co-arising. So you've got the self brings aversion and clinging, and aversion and clinging brings a self. Which one comes first? Is it this first and then that, or that first and then this? Or is it that this whole thing comes together. The whole construction appears. It's a magic show, and that was the Buddha's words. The magic show. The magic show. Now that also goes for phenomena. Here's this pain, here's this emotion, here's this whatever, with a lot of practice, so it's even happening with external things. Here's this thing, and then the relationship with it, and again, I see with deep practice, when I let go, the very counterintuitively, the thing dissolves, it disbands, it disappears. 
it cannot support itself without a certain way of looking at it, a certain relationship to it. But this phenomena itself, if I, if I then ask, okay, so the phenomena is dependent on the relationship of clinging, what does the clinging depend on? What it's does conditions, isn't it? What's that? Conditions. Conditions, okay, but what conditions? Self, okay, self is one, very good. So we're saying, the f- I'm seeing through letting go, maybe some people, some people have glimpsed this, it's like, this is all off, the, don't worry if this, you know, we're just extending the whole thing a bit. I've seen through practice that when I let go in relationship to a phenomenon, that phenomenon can dissolve. So that implies to me, if I see it over and over again, I can't get away from it. I'm staring right at the thing, it's not that I'm ignoring it, and it dissolves. So it implies to me, it's just like a science experiment, every time I let go, it dissolves. I'm looking right, and I'm not distracting myself. And there it is. I see that the phenomena depends on my relationship with it. That already is very counterintuitive. Because I tend to think, as I said before, there's the phenomena, and then afterwards, maybe a nanosecond later, comes my relationship, and it could be any of many things, but the thing is the thing in itself. We're already saying the thing is not the thing in itself. It's dependent on relationship. And then I might ask, what is the relationship dependent on? And meanwhile, I said self. People say conditions, yeah. So what are those conditions? Self is one. In other words, without this self, there isn't the self-interest, so there isn't the aversion and clinging. But what else? Karma. Karma, okay. I'm, I'm hunting for one specific. <laughs> 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 it's four external stuff. It's what? It's dependent on external stuff. Like? Phenomenon. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Beautiful. So we have, first thing we saw was the, f- the phenomenon was dependent on the relationship, but the relationship is dependent on the phenomena. I can't have aversion to something that is like, I can't have aversion without an object, really. So, again, we get this dependent co-arising. What comes first, the thing or the relationship? The relationship or the thing? Magic. Magic. The world is magic. It's a magical, mystical reality. Not just the self, but the whole of existence. You might say, well, maybe the mind comes first. Actually, this really is off the curriculum now, but it's like, actually, the mind, too, has no basis. It's groundless. The mind, too, consciousness, too, arises in that magic. And this is what it means. Nothing exists in any way separate from anything else. Not just because my genes were made in Turkey or wherever they were made and da-da-da, all that stuff. Actually, in some much, much uh, deeper... uh, it's so woven into the fabric of consciousness and existence. And, and seeing that liberates everyth- everything to, to the deepest degree. Yeah, that's what I said with, with Nina. It's not just human. This is woven into all consciousness. It's part of the way consciousness works. It's, it's what consciousness is, if you, if you like. It's not too theoretical, but um, does this? I'm imagining this doesn't negate the, the possibility that there is an external reality that we cannot perceive. It's just that our, in our perceiving of it, it is co arising. Yeah. Um, or, or yeah. <laughs> it's just a bit <laughs> metaphysical. Um, well, I think it's. A, I think it's a beautiful question and a really complex question. Mm-hmm. Um, different within the Dharma, you get different answers to that. One is, um, I mean, the, the way the 
the, the historical Buddha approach this is what's called the phenomenological approach, which is basically like, I cannot know anything anyway external from my perception. Mm-hmm. I deal with my suffering as part of, part of all that. So that's why I, I just go with that and I don't ask questions about, about that. I cannot ever know anything um, outside of that. Um, but, but there are different takes on that. Um, so some people would just kind of avoid that question because it's not, you know, I deal with this, this is my suffering, this is the world that I'm living in, is obviously what I perceive, etc. Um, I'm not sure I can give a simple answer to that. Um, if you... If you... There are schools within the Dharma, and, and meditatively it can really seem that nothing exists at all outside our mind. There's nothing external. Everything is just the mind. Um, some people don't feel comfortable with that. Some people do, you know. Uh, if, you, if you explore, like, really modern physics, like quantum physics, up, up to the present, you know, those questions are very alive there as well. And so physicists themselves are split. They call it... Um, are what, standing for RWOT, the real world out there. And so some, <laughs> some people believe in that and some physicists don't. It's like the implication is everything that uh, quant- quantum physics and relativity and the sort of really uh, newer approaches that are trying to unite those theories, that it's actually that, that can't seem to s- stand anymore. So when you say, what is mass, it seems so obvious and you can't actually find it. They don't actually know what mass is. Um, th- things like that. So... It's a really deep question. The original Buddha was like, don't even go there because answering that question won't help you get nearer to the end of suffering. Later, as the Dharma developed, there were you know, incredibly brilliant philosophers that would debate that kind of thing, etc. Um, I find it interesting and it moves me. It's not just a head thing, it moves me to, to go there. But it's also, I'm not sure that one needs an answer to that mm. for, for liberation. Mm. Um, In what way? Well, in a, in a sense, you know, we're all having an experience which is has the same, all affected, and we all respond in in, in the same way. I mean, we have our differences, and in, in a sense, it's like. It's all just like one, it's one thing. (laughs) (laughs) Does this sound silly? No, not at all, not at all. Um, That's a a, a really, um, it's a really helpful sense to to have of things. You know, when we start getting, because we tend to feel so separate and so isolated and so different and all this, and once you begin realizing the sameness and what we share, and what we participate in together, and um, there's there's a real, real deep healing in that. Yeah, there's like the content of what we all share, mm-hmm. and there's also the other. Exactly. You know, which you can't yeah. really put words yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that yeah. We're all kind of held in it. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, so, thank you, Jane. That that. So a couple of people mentioned this, and I was just curious because Catherine also just wove it into her talk last night. Um, and again, I wasn't intending to bring it up on this retreat, but 
And so here's really a question, just for me to get a sense of how, how where this is going for people. Um, do you sometimes get a sense, some people have mentioned it even in this Q&A, sometimes get a sense <coughs> when when you let go and things open out, it's almost as if um, the, the space itself begins to kind of become more obvious, or the silence, or, or the sense of... Um, love or something permeating, something holding a bit more, or a, con- a container a bit more. Um, it's fine if you don't, it's more for me to just get a sense to some people. Okay. Love there, yeah. Okay, Hannah, what are you? I find myself, um, I mean, not identifying in the sense of the self, but being more... Yeah, definitely more aware of the spaces rather than the phenomena. Yeah. The space. Okay, very good. It's, it's like for me, it's like this bottomless kind of letting go, and it's empty and spacious, but at the same time, sort of full. Full, yeah. Um, okay. Um, but, but because, of course, as Catherine touched on last night, what can happen is 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 um, a sense of not being held, a sense of fear, a sense of you know, kind of. One is losing oneself. So, what, what if we say, when I let go, I'm yeah, and it can go back and forth, of course, yes. Um, when when I let go, I'm not building so much self, and you might find yourself at times without the familiar sense of self. It's like without the personality. Where is the personality when things have gone really quiet? And so, on that spectrum, we've gone kind of the, the slider has gone less than the personality. The personality is not arising at this point. And sometimes there's a reaction to that. It's like, well, you know, I want my personality back. I don't want to lose it. And you see, you just go back and forth, and eventually we're really okay with not having the personality around. It's like, that's nice, actually. <laughs> and you realize there's a beauty in that as much as there's a beauty in the world of the personality. Yeah, I definitely got that. You know, it's like an empty core. There's a sphere of awareness, and then there's this empty core, and all the thoughts and that question doesn't need to stop the matter though uh, it, it's funny, even if I don't know who I am or I don't have much of a sense of self, I still seem to be able to give meta here. <laughs> um, which is why that I threw this out at the beginning of the retreat. It's like people think, well, if I'm saying may I, da da da, won't it build the self? And it doesn't. It doesn't. So, um, okay. <laughs> um, um, I think, I think. I, I just want to say something about that holding, if that's okay. Um, and again, I wasn't intending to go into this, but I was curious just what might come up. And so this is really, if it's around right now, or if it's going in and out, or just something eventually to look out for. Um, sometimes, or is it enough? Are you, are you guys tired and had enough? You've had enough? No, I want to listen. Oh, um... <laughs> yes. Well, uh, okay. I mean, no, it's, it's the same for me to talk or not to talk. So. <laughs> um, 
if, if I, when I was asking, like, what happens when we let go? What happens? And you said this and this and this and this and this and this. And, and, and one of the things that can happen is this sense of spaciousness. It's like that instead of, when there's a self-sense, everything gets more constricted. You know, with the body sense, and it, it feels smaller and tighter and more bound. And that begins opening up. And with that opening up, um, there's more of a sense of spaciousness. Now, sometimes that spaciousness, it's like it has different flavors at different times. It can be felt like there's just love there, or it's just silence, or it's just space, or it's a sense of holding, like a container that holds, or um, stillness, or peace. When the, the if uh, the the love that's in that space will tend to be much calmer. In other words, it's it's rare for the self to go really quiet and and the space to open up and the love to kind of feel like very hot and passionate. It's probably going to be a much more subtle kind of love that's pervading if it's there around at all. Um, because in letting go of aversion and clinging, we're moving more towards equanimity, towards peace. So that to the love, it's kind of... Sh- uh, shot through with a lot of peace, with a lot of equanimity. But sometimes this sense of space and silence uh, begins to attract the being much more. And Hannah just said, it's like, I start to get less interested in phenomena and more interested in the space that's holding things. And the sense of silence, the sense of peace or love or whatever that's holding things. And sometimes that really gives, um, as Catherine was saying last night, you know, there can be some fear in that. But one can also begin feeling the quality of that space. And just as one's eyes might need to get used to the dark, at first you see <gasps> a darkened room, and begin to feel into it, and, and more of its subtle qualities begin to show. And there is holding there, and there is beauty, and there is love, and there is um, peace and stillness, all that. And and sometimes it can just kind of aid the letting go because there's a kind of uh, wider holding going on. Does, does this make sense at all? Um, so I'm just saying that in case, because a few people mentioned it, in case it begins... So one whole way that the emptiness practice can unfold is really getting, opening up to that sense and the holding there and the beauty there and the peace and, and the... And the sort of mystical sense of that is one possible way, and it's certainly not the only way, but it's it's uh, one one thing there. something to do with a, a duality which I'm holding on to but that I'm sort of in that place of space and awareness and sensations and just kind of hanging out and it all just feels really normal and not really that spectacular or mysterious mm-hmm. or whatever and I can tell that this is part of me that's like oh okay <laughs> kind of um you know, I can also see that there is, and that it's a different way of looking at it. I can kind of flip that view as well. Mm-hmm. But actually, just 
being okay with the normalness of it and yeah. the, the the not anythingness of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, very good. Sometimes we just get used to that, and it becomes very normal. It just becomes a normal part of our lives, absolutely. And as always, there's different ways of looking at things. So the really golden question is, what ways of looking at things are helpful? And sometimes it's um, helpful to kind of even eventually... Well, shouldn't we say this? Um, let's just say that's, that's good to notice, Anna. <laughs> and we can talk about it more, if that's okay. That feel okay? Yeah, that's yeah. Fine. All right. um, I'm conscious of time because it's almost lunchtime. Is that is that okay to stop there? <laughs>